bit of background about Hezekiah for a start off. Hezekiah, we can read about him all over the place in the Old Testament. He's in 2 Kings, verses uh, chapters 18 and to 20. He's in Chronicles, chapters 29 and to 32. He's also mentioned in Isaiah 36 to 39. Uh, there's probably quite a good reason for this. Hezekiah ruled for 29 years. So that's a fair fair reign for kings in those days, certainly. And he was only 25 when he started his reign, so quite a young man. And as we we said, he's, overall he was one of the uh, one of the good kings of Israel. So, what do we learn about Hezekiah as we start to read about him in uh, 2 Kings 18? Uh, rather than follow the example set by his father, King Ahaz, who was definitely one of the bad kings of Judah, who turned his back on God and closed God's temple and he'd set up altars to false gods on every street corner in Jerusalem and in every town throughout Judah. He was a pretty bad king. He set up high places to offer burnt offerings to other gods. And God turned his wrath on Judah as a consequence. But rather than follow Ahaz's example, Hezekiah was his own man, and he chose to trust in God. In fact, we're told in 2 Kings 18 that he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. We learn that he was not only a man after God's heart, but he was also a man of actions as well as words. Sometimes we can pray and we can pray and we can pray, and God's saying, well, that's okay, but go and do this. And sometimes we tend to ignore it, but Hezekiah wasn't like that. When he heard from God, he went and did what he was told. He led his people by example to show he was not messing about with his trust and faith in God to deliver their nation. First of all, he said about removing all of the shrines and symbols to other gods that his father had allowed to be set up in Jerusalem and throughout Judah. Now, you may think that's no big deal, but obviously the people of Judah by this time had got their self set in ways of worshipping these other gods. So it wouldn't have been the most popular move he could do with the people themselves. But he knew that if he was following God, then he would be able to do that. And God would stand by him as he did it. And he would move on the hearts of the people. First thing he did was remove the high places and smash the so-called sacred stones that were there. He cut down all the Asherah poles. And he smashed Moses' bronze snake. Remember the snake that Moses had created, which was fine at the time. But the Israelites had taken to worshipping this bronze snake that Moses created. And he needed to get rid of it, which was quite, a, quite an awesome undertaking for him because Moses was the father of the nation and as such would have been uh, renovated, re revered, renovated, revered by the people who were there. So, uh, again, it would not have been the most popular thing to do. But Hezekiah knew that God 
was leading him and if he was following God, then all of these things had to go. We're told that he trusted in the Lord totally. And there was no other king like him in Judah, either before or since. That's quite a statement. He held fast to the Lord's teachings, and the Lord was with him. He became successful in all that he undertook, because he was following the Lord, and the Lord was with him. Again, he not only spoke the word, but he took action as well. Having destroyed all the idol-worshipping symbols from Judah, he then set about restoring the things of God to their rightful places. We read in 2 Chronicles 29-30 to how Hezekiah restored the temple. He got the Levites together and sent them in to cleanse the temple and to put back the things which his father had had removed. His father had not only had them removed, he also abandoned the temple. So Hezekiah had it purified and made fit to receive the worship of the people and praise to God. He also restored the observance of the Passover. Things had got so bad under his father that they had totally abandoned the feast of the Passover. So Hezekiah had that observance restored. All of these things he did because he read the word of God as given to Moses and followed it. Perhaps today we need to turn and return to the word of God rather than following the teachings of men as some are apt to do nowadays rather than hearing the Bible preached from the front they hear the opinions and teachings of men and some of those teachings are not good so perhaps we need to return to the word of God rather than following those teachings in order to restore God's church to its rightful place not only in our country but throughout the world Perhaps as Hezekiah, rather than speaking out the word of God, we also need to be doers of the word as well. 1 Peter 1, 22-23 tells us, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. The living and enduring word of God. God's word is just as relevant today as it ever was. And if we are to see restoration in our land, as we all would like to see, we quite often in this church pray for restoration and revival. And in order to see that about, perhaps as Hezekiah did, we need to get back to the Word of God, to examine it closely and to follow it in order to restore God's favor upon his people.
and this land. Do we trust God to hear our prayers and our hearts and to act upon them as we shall see Hezekiah did shortly in what seemed like and can seem to us like impossible situations? That is impossible in the world's eye. Or are we, as King Ahaz did, trying to sort it out in our own strength? How many times do we try and sort things out in our own strength first before we turn to God and seek him for what he wants in any particular situation? As I've said, Hezekiah was also a man of prayer. When things got really bad, and they had to get really bad for Hezekiah, Hezekiah turned to the Lord in prayer. He, as I'm sure we have many times, tried to sort it out his own way first. But when it really came down to it, he turned to God, who in his grace and mercy, and seeing Hezekiah's heart, sorted it out for this man of God. How much easier would it have been if Hezekiah's first protocol had been to turn to the Father? How much easier would it be for each of us if we were to do the same thing when we meet problems rather than trying to wrestle them ourselves? We read in 2 Kings 18 that the king of Assyria came against Israel in Hezekiah's 14th year. Hezekiah initially tried to pay off the king with tributes. But Zenacherib took the tributes, and then in typical ways of man, he then went on to take all the fortified cities around Jerusalem. And finally stood at the gates of Jerusalem with his huge army, over 200,000 strong, before Jerusalem itself. But as with all things of man, mistakes happen, and Zenacherub, you don't know how hard it's been to get that road right, Zenacherub then made his fatal error. He demanded that they stop worshipping Yahweh, that is God, and worship his gods instead. Hezekiah would have perhaps agreed to some different demand to appease him. But because he was following God so closely, and because God was central to his life, he would not countenance this act that Zenacherib wanted. He was too deeply rooted in his trust and faith in God. And he took the letter containing Zenacherib's demands into the temple and laid it before the altar and prayed to the Lord for him to deliver them from this massive army. Isaiah was the chief prophet at that time and the Lord spoke to him, who then sent a message to Hezekiah that the Lord had told him that he had heard Hezekiah's prayer 
and would deliver them. And subsequently God sent an angel into Zenacherib's camp. Note he sent an angel into Zenacherib's camp who killed 185,000 of his men. One angel, 185,000 men. That's the power of God at work. And when Zenacherib saw this the next morning, not surprisingly, he broke camp and returned to Nineveh, having seen the power of Hezekiah's God at work. And he stayed in Nineveh and was eventually killed by his sons. Hezekiah around this time was also taken seriously ill. So ill, in fact, that again Isaiah came to him and told him that he was going to die. But Hezekiah wasn't ready for this. He'd got things still to do. And so he got on his knees. In fact, he turned his face to the wall and prayed to God and pleaded with him for more time in view of his faithfulness and devotion to the Lord in order that he could complete the things which he believed God had asked him to do. And the Lord heard his prayer and he extended his life by 15 years. From these two examples, we can see that prayer can change things if they are in God's will to do. In human terms, the Assyrian army should have slaughtered the people of Jerusalem. But God saw their heart and their trust and delivered them. He also saw Hezekiah's heart and answered his prayers for his life. If we were to bring our petitions before God from the depths of our hearts, rather than superficially, maybe he would hear them as well and act on them according to his will. And our world might just be changed as well. That's not belittling anybody's prayers, but we need to get down on our knees and speak from the depths of our hearts. We need to come before God with sincerity, with tears, for this world of ours. And we need to ask him to bring his favour back on this land. Not only us. I'm not getting anybody here particularly. The whole of the Christian church needs to be doing that again. We've become far too comfortable in our lifestyles. We need to take lessons from the persecuted church who, because of their situation, have to literally rely daily on God for their very lives. And because of that, their prayers seem so much more concentrated than ours. There was a Chinese gentleman who'd been in jail for many, many years who came to the West. And he observed what was going on in the West. And he was asked to pray. And the one thing that he prayed for was that the complacency of the Western Church would be dealt with because he was horrified when he saw how complacent the Church in the West had become because we are so comfortable in our lifestyles 
And there are so many distractions and things out there that can draw us away from God. He was horrified. And his first prayer was, take away their complacency, Lord. And finally, despite Hezekiah's godly living, as Eleanor alluded to, he was also human. And as so many of us do, he gave in to the sin of pride. After Zenacherib's defeat, all of the nations around Judah respected the God of Judah. Hezekiah happened to be their king, but it was the God of Judah that they were respecting. But Hezekiah let this uh, defeat and this adoration that was coming from these other nations go to his head a little bit. And when some envoys arrived from Babylon to greet Hezekiah and uh, speak to him, he took great delight in showing them all of the wealth of Judah. Not to give glory to God, but just to show off what it was that was in his treasuries. His heart had the wrong motives for showing them the riches that through God and his work had been given to Judah. He'd forgotten that without God, none of it would have been there. And we have to be careful. Because of this, God sent Isaiah to Hezekiah to tell him that because he had shown pride in his possessions, the Babylonians would eventually come and take all of those riches and Hezekiah's descendants into captivity. And as we know, as we read on in the Bible, that came about. So we need to be very careful about pride. We need to be aware of at all times of our attitudes. It's so easy to get carried away in our successes and forget that they came from God. And we take the glory for ourselves rather than giving the glory to him. And that will have consequences. Proverbs 16 verse 18 tells us, Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Hezekiah was a great king and a man after God's heart as his father David had been. But as with David, he also had his weaknesses. David just had one or two weaknesses that we won't dwell on. I'm sure you all are aware of them. And on occasions, David allowed the devil to show him the wrong path. It doesn't matter how we have served God in the past. We need to be on our guard continually against the wiles of the devil. He may only have deceit and lies as his weapons, but he's expert at using them. And we can so easily fall as we listen to that silent, persistent whisper in our ear. It's like that advert on the telly where, I can't remember what the advert was for, but he had a devil on one shoulder and he had a good person on his other shoulder. 
And the good person whispered something in this ear and the devil was whispering something in this ear. And that's what's happening in our lives day by day. We don't, may not be able to see the devil, but he's there. And whilst we're being active in the work of God, he's not going to be happy. If we sit complacently and do nothing, he's fine. He's fine with that. He doesn't mind that at all. But if we're trying to do things for God, and if we're working for God in whatever field, he's not going to be happy, and he's going to try everything that he can in order to turn us away from God and back into his path. I don't know if it's coincidental, but it is amazing how many ministers, partners, wives or husbands take ill. Over the years I've seen many, many examples of where the partner of a minister takes ill for whatever reason. And the devil uses that. But he has lots of things that he can use and will use if we let him. So we need to be continually on our guard as we move into God's work against that. It won't happen to me is a cry that I hear regularly. It won't happen to me, we say. I have to tell you there, but for the grace of God, it could easily be you or it could easily be me. And as we're told in Ephesians, we need to put on the full armor of God daily. Not once a year, not once a month. Daily, we need to put on the full armor of God and look to him in every circumstance of our lives, for his strength and his wisdom. Amen.